0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the closed world of an elite Pennsylvania boarding school, Haldwell, the student body is run by five factions. 17-year-old Sella Summers, played by Lovie Simone, runs the most dominant group, the Spades, with unshakable poise as they cater to the most classic of vices and supply students with the coveted illegal alcohol and pills and drugs and all kinds of stuff. Tension between the factions escalate when Cela's best friend Maxie becomes distracted by a new love. Cela takes on a protege An enamored Paloma, played by Celeste O'Connor, to whom she imparts her wisdom on ruling the school. And that is the backstory behind this terrific film called Sella and the Spades. We're joined today by the writer and director of Sella and the Spades, Tyresha Poe. Tyresha, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you uh, for being here. I I um I'm going to gush uh, all over the place <laughs> about the film. I, I and and for and this is the reason why is many reasons. But first of all, the cast is terrific. It's a really accomplished group of young actors mm-hmm. who really buy in to this to their roles in this film. Uh, in particular, Lovie Simone. She is she she has to be as good as she is in this film for it to work, and it just really works because of her and others. But certainly, she is the rock upon this is which this film uh, rests, and she's wonderful. But also, what I was c- particularly taken by was the complexity that you're able to to build into this film, the kind of multi-layered world that we are we are in when we're watching the film. Uh, all of this leads up to the question is, where did the idea for this come from, and um, and how did it eventually turn into this wonderful narrative film?
1: Well, I went to boarding school for high school in New Jersey, and part of the idea definitely came from just wanting to see that experience represented in this, you know, world of high school media. Um, because I think that it's a really interesting experience you know when you're a teenager everything in your body is telling you to declare independence from your parents from the world from everybody else and I feel like boarding school is this fascinating world where you get this pseudo independence but you're like encased in this bubble of privilege um so so I wanted to see that in media But it's also just my love of The Godfather, quite honestly, and like Breaking Bad and stuff like that. I just love stories about people figuring out how to best excuse their bad behavior. And I feel like gangster movies are a really good place for that. I'm also just, you know, obviously the five factions and the five families of The Godfather and the Mafia. You know, it's all related, but that's where it comes from. Or at least that's where the beginnings of the stories of the story came from. And then from there I started I sort of just started thinking about what all of those movies and TV shows about men behaving badly had in common. It tended to be that they were all about power. And so I just became interested in the reality of power as it plays out in a boarding school environment.
0: That is the the shell. In which this film takes place, it is the well, in some ways, it isn't the most dominant dynamic in the film in in the school because the factions are, but in another way in the sort of the outside world, the boarding school and the administrator are the are the ones who are in charge right and What I was taken by in the film was they are in charge. In a sort of max at, at a twenty thousand foot level, but but how little real power they're able to assert over the school is right for me the the really a wonderful dynamic in the film. So
1: yeah, that's um, that was fun because we actually we I wrote more stuff for the adults to do and we shot more for the adults to do, but. In various cuts of the film, what we realized, what I realized for myself as a viewer and as the writer and what, you know, people were telling us who were watching it is that, I mean, it's like the Charlie Brown effect. Like, you don't care what the adults have to say, (laughs) not really, because, like, the people with the real power in this story can't even, like, they can't drink. They can't even vote, most of them. They're all the kids. So I I think that it's just... You got to listen to, or at least I tried to um, listen to what the story was telling me. It was interested in, and this story did not really care about the world of adults.
0: I love the Charlie Brown reference, by the way. That is, that's <laughs> awesome.
1: It's just like that, though. The adult—you only see their knees and like wah 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 wah. <laughs> that's what it feels like. As an, at least that's for me. That's what it felt like most of the time as a teenager. It's like, okay, yes, adults, the rules, society, but really. What's going on with the drama between the cliques? That's what I'm living for. I,
0: I'm going to I'm going to I- inject a very obscure um, reference, movie reference mm-hmm. that uh, is one of my favorites in in all of all time, and it's the opening to uh, Blue Velvet. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's the opening. And there's the parade in town and all the dignitaries and the fire mm-hmm. trucks and all that stuff. And as they are passing by someone's home, the uh, the homeowner is watering the lawn and the and the camera takes this long sh- tracking shot follows you all the way to the homeowner with the hose in his hand and watering the lawn and down into the lawn and then you suddenly see thousands of insects battling royale <laughs> right uh-huh. and 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 in in some ways that's a uh, that's an exaggeration of the tumult in 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 uh at Haldwell, but nonetheless it it for me it always serves as a great reference to i think
1: that's pretty fair yeah yeah
0: but i i guess what strikes me about the film and you open with a with a shot of sella mm-hmm. and talking and this is another thing about the film that i liked that you broke you break the fourth wall uh in in opportune times in the film and i think that yeah. to establish just what a commanding figure and how how poised and mm-hmm. how sophisticated and how someone who appears to have the the you know, all of the reign the reign of power within mm-hmm. her just in her presence and in the way she's ab- ability to convey that and that opening really sets a tone for her character and for what is going to happen after that. But it also is such a tremendous job on her part, on Lovey Simone's part of establishing totally. herself as a real presence in, in, in the film and uh, her abilities. And it is godfather-like, uh, as right. you were talking about. It's very godfather uh, to, for that. But tell us how that if, that how you yeah. did that.
1: Well, it was always written in because... because um you know, Sel is this figure who has to be able to strikes this balance between you want to be her and you also want to like punch her in the face. <laughs> so in order for her to strike that balance, she has to kind of be everything that you want, but also constantly reminding you that you can never be her in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, but Lovey, the the actress, the person, is this really petite girl woman who's so bubbly and so just, like, fun and so kind and so loving and so giving. And so for her to then come in, like come into the frame and be Sela and to take up so much space and to command so much of your attention is just, like, I mean, that's just talent. Even though I wrote it into the script, I could not have possibly written it so well if Lovey weren't playing this role. Like, it's just a matter of fact. This kid she makes you want to hold your breath so that you can hear exactly what she's saying. And I think that that's the quality that Sela has. We always talked about Sela as the hero and never as the villain of the story. And so when you treat Sela, the character, with love, I think that you get this. (laughs) Like, you really do. You get Lovey being able to bring so much complexity and so many dimensions to her and for us to believe that complexity and believe those dimensions so that Sela doesn't feel... Like a villain, she just feels like a teenage girl who's trying to figure it out.
0: It's a hyper stylized version of high school, mm-hmm. but there's enough in the film that is re- the the cold hard reality of being in high school and this this remarkable kind of it, um, period of time in in people's lives where they go from really not knowing. Hardly anything about life to being thrown into this pit of, you know, freshman, senior, yeah. body changing, trying to figure <laughs> yeah. things out. All it is of these kids.
1: It's a hard co- period of time. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah.
0: And, and that is the, the it, but it navigates it so well. And, and one of the things that I was struck by in the film in this dynamic of the, the, who runs the school, it's the seniors, it's the, it's the five families, if you will, mm-hmm. that do, and how little priority in the, the film gives to anyone who's not either one junior or all seniors. <laughs> and, yeah. and that is true, that's true about <laughs> high school. That's in and of itself a cold hard fact.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just, you know, people or what we what I really wanted to do in the film was just hyper focus on whatever we're focusing on. So it's funny to hear you mention that because it's like, yes, Sella and Maxi and Paloma are really just concerned about the people right around. them, (laughs) And I think that that's kind of fascinating because that's how we really exist within these within these small within our smaller communities like the community gets even smaller i just have my faction and then within my faction i just have my right hand man or when you start to break a community down into these subcommunities who then is your allegiance to first and foremost and i think that that's kind of what sella is asking of maxi and of Paloma. Yeah. and that's why it's such an interesting it's such an interesting f- system of like yeah. that they've come up with because it's like you could all just hang out together and be friends, but you sort of know that that's not possible because no matter what, we're going to fall into cliques. We're going to fall into factions. And you guys have just created this system to make it official and make it make money.
0: <laughs> You're right, right. And I want to remind our listeners that we are talking with the writer and director of the film, Sella and the Spades, and that would be Tyrisha Poe. She is joining us today to talk about this film, which is available.
1: Yeah, this movie, Selling the Spades, will be available April 17th on Amazon Prime.
0: And one observation about the, this, the focus on, you know, the, the senior class and one junior, is it's funny how quickly, this is sort of a behavioral question, it's funny how quickly, when we're freshmen and sophomores, how quickly our outlook changes on what we were just that a year and a half ago. Yep. and our perception of being <laughs> yep. that person a year and a half ago. And and it, it's funny how that quickly develops into uh, uh, this kind of system that you're that you, we see in the film. And and it's true again. It's true that that's what I... boy the disgust you would have for freshmen when you were a senior. I mean, they barely it was really <laughs> as
1: you were never a freshman yourself. Yes, yeah, if you
0: that never happened. Know. And, you know, you just sort of you were you you came fully formed as a senior, right? And that was it. I know, it. It but like,
1: that's like that's so interesting that you bring that up because I feel like that's something that we have to stop ourselves from doing all over the place. Like my little brother is in academia and he's, you know, constantly telling me about, um, you know, like tenured professors versus non-tenured professors and all of that political drama within academia. Yeah. And he makes this joke that like graduate students who get tenured jobs suddenly stop talking about the politics between tenured professors (laughs) and non-tenured professors as though they were never the other. And it's just like, we always do that with every system. So, yeah. how do we remind ourselves? I, I like how do we remind ourselves that we were once freshmen and I, how that, do we stick to that?
0: <laughs> well, they have to watch Sela and the Spades and they'll there have this understanding. Go. This is a much there better, much go. better world. Now, one of the other things about the film is the uh, adherence to um, ritual, the adherence mm-hmm. to tradition, right? Yeah. Within the five factions. They have their code of behavior that's mostly unspoken. It's just a few words thrown out about uh, how you are supposed to be the behavior. You know the ledger, the, mm-hmm. and, and that's another thing about the film that I really loved is a lot of things go unexplained, mm-hmm. and it's it's and there are times in the film where it feels like this is about two scenes away from becoming a, a teen slasher movie. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Where yeah.
0: I mean, all hell could break loose, and I mean, <laughs> severed limbs, the whole thing. I mean, it could, yeah. but but it, it's it. but that again is a testament to how how well structured the film is. But I i love this ri- the the idea of ritual, and there's mm-hmm. one particular scene and also empowerment as well. There's mm-hmm. the scene with the cheerleaders or, or yeah. the cheer squad where where Sella, I believe, is the one speaking to the, the to, mm-hmm. breaks the wall, and she's talking about this little culture within a culture yeah. and, and how important that is. And I love that part of the film. To, to yeah, me too. Walk, walk, walk <laughs> us through
1: that a little bit. If you want. Yeah, I, I started, that was one of the earliest things that I wrote for the script. I wrote that monologue um, before I even really had written the script. I wrote it as a vignette, just about Sela and her life and how she feels about being alive and being 17. Um, and it, so, I, I mean, I wrote it in, like, 2013, which means cool. that it's been a part of me and a part of this story for a really long time now. Um, and I, I think that that speaks to how it's really a central thesis of the film, at least I feel like it is, that 17-year-old girls are constantly being told how to exist. I think girls are constantly being told how to exist, how to wear their bodies, how to hold themselves, how to speak when they're too loud, when they giggle too much, how to modulate their voice so that they're being respected by their coworkers as opposed to just being respected because they're a coworker. All this stuff, like girls, women, we're constantly being told that however we are is wrong and can be fixed. And then when we do the thing to try to fix it, we are still wrong because our existence itself is seen as a problem or is seen as something that needs to be fixed. And that's just a matter of like, you know, there's whole industries around how women look and feel about themselves. And if we don't look and feel those ways, then those industries won't make money. So it was really important to me to include that because I think that when you realize that and when you consider that, I feel as though a lot of sellers, God, a lot of sellers drive for power just makes so much sense to me. Because of course you want power. Because power is how you feel as though you are in control of the situation. You are in control of yourself. So that whole monologue just makes me... I mean, it makes me wish that I'd seen it when I was 17. I feel like I would have escaped a few years of thinking that simply being alive and trying my best wasn't enough. Yeah.
0: It's a terrific scene. and yeah, And it establishes... Just what you said, it establishes Sella her her worldview, as opposed to controlling the high school. It's it's exactly. It's not you know. And again, something I again I will go back to a point I made just a minute ago, and that is, there are uh, there are loose ends in the film, and. Mm-hmm. and um, Again, the thing with the ledger. This is sort of the oracle of the film, right? Isn't, is <laughs> yeah. is that sort of what what, what right? And and yeah, it, I think that's fair. Yeah, and so while w- there isn't a whole lot of explanation ab- about what's in the ledger and, mm-hmm. and the the history of its existence, it still seems to be the one thing that dare not be crossed in the film.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um. I really love. When films have their own logic and their own worlds and their own items that have importance within that world. Like I think of the in Pulp Fiction, that briefcase where wait, is that Pulp Fiction or Reservoir? Yeah, that's Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Where you open the brief, re, the briefcase and the golden light yeah. comes onto your face and it's like, What the f is in that briefcase? <laughs> It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what's in the briefcase. It's just that there is a thing that people want within the world of this movie. And I just love that because it asks me as an audience member to fully commit to living inside of that world for yeah. a couple hours. And I love making that commitment. That's what makes that's what makes me feel like it's worth it to watch something, the feeling of being inside another world.
0: I couldn't agree more. And in some ways, it's, it's a kind of a, a, a foundational tenet. Mm-hmm. Of filmmaking and of religion, if you will, mm. right? The sort of this youth—you you don't know why you're giving yourself over, but you don't yeah. think it. You don't think it through. You don't need to think it through because of for a lot of reasons. And that, yeah, again, this is you. You do this not only with the ledger, but you do this with a number of different things in mm-hmm. the film to just say, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yup, basically. <laughs> just come along for the ride. yeah. You know, and like, I
0: mean, I, 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 another one is is Fishtown. That's another one. Yeah. okay? Yeah. What the hell is going on in Fishtown? So the,
1: the Fishtown thing, I mean, that is a little bit of like a, an inside joke for all of my people from Philadelphia. There is like a neighborhood in Philly named Fishtown. That's, you know, perfectly. it's just a normal part of a city. But when I was a kid and I lived in Philly, I lived in I grew up in West Philly. Um, I had a friend who lived in Fishtown and I really wanted to go visit her, but my mom (laughs) said, no, Fishtown's too dangerous. And so I just grew up with this idea of Fishtown as like, this mythical, incredibly dangerous part of the city, even though, again, I'm from West Philadelphia. And so I just wanted to uh, uh, put that little hint in there to people because Fishtown's not that dangerous anymore. It's very, very different. So it's sort of a place, uh, a time marker. Right, but but at the same time,
0: and it's I don't just want like to a give
1: mythical it, place where people go. Yeah, but it's but, the but there are stuff to happen. <laughs> yes,
0: but there are consequences as we see yeah, as we see. There are see. rules
1: for Fish <laughs> and you have to follow those rules. And I like that. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's just like random rules. Okay, and, okay. Oh, and,
0: don't, call- and don't go there alone.
1: And don't go there alone. <laughs>
0: that's like well, I think that's in the first five minutes. I think that's what we we hear that the first time. <laughs> don't go there alone. Uh, well, there are a couple other things. I mean, again, I I just uh, it's. I have a hard time describing for our audience here just what an accomplished and fully, I'll I'll use this word again, fully formed film this is in the sense of the world you're introduced into and you're given all of the parts of that world that you would want to know about and want to experience in this film. And it's done with really, really good acting all the way across the board. Everyone in Mm -hmm. the film really as i said at the very top of our interview really buys into their mm-hmm. to their roles everybody the bobbies the Cs, the prefects the all the all of the stuff and all the people who are representing them come across in in ways that are appropriate for their age but at the same time seriousness of which with which they take their positions as mm-hmm. well so um, i um i'm so happy to be able to uh, to talk with you about this this terrific film i hope you're working on oodles and oodles of more <laughs> films um moving forward and uh all right, have you been getting some are you working on anything after? yeah
1: i i'm i'm writing so there will definitely be more in the future just trying to figure out what which one is first so i'm definitely about, writing a bunch which how, is exciting
0: how about this uh Sella uh, at college. How's, how's that for a, a <laughs> You're sequel? You're not the
1: first to ask me about <laughs> that. You are far from the first to want that story to be told. They did, a God- maybe. They did
0: Godfather 2. Come on. Uh, that's true. They did. But, you know,
1: we don't all have to go that route. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank
0: you so very much again. We've been talking with the director and writer of the film Sella in the Spades. And that would be Taurishi Poe and come back anytime you feel the urge uh, and uh, <laughs> anything comes up. You're working on a commercial or a skit. Come back. <laughs> I'll talk to you. All right. Well, thank you. Th- th- thank you again. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. You too.